Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to the USC Football Podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, Los Angeles' number one sports podcast network, the only place with a show for every team in LA and more. We believe in our teams. Do you believe? I'm Nara Wang, and my co-host, the two-time national champion for USC and 13-year NFL defensive lineman Frosty Rucker, will join me in just a minute. If you enjoy listening to us on our weekly USC football podcast, please subscribe and rate our show wherever you find your favorite podcasts. iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. You can also find us at the website Believe.com. That's B-L-E-A-V dot com and on social media at Believe Podcast. For me personally, find me and follow me on Twitter at Nara Wang Sports. That's N-A-R-A-W-E-N-G Sports. For Frosty, you can find him on Twitter and Instagram at the same handle, at The Organic Frost. The Trojans were off on Thanksgiving weekend so USC fans got to focus on one game to determine USC's immediate future, the Colorado-Utah matchup. A Utah loss, and SC would win the Pac-12 South and advance to this week's Pac-12 championship game against Oregon. However, the Utes took care of business 45-15 in Salt Lake City, leaving us to wait for a bowl assignment and word on Clay Helton's job status. Well, we got the news on Wednesday about whether Clay would stay or go, and AD Mike Bone makes the first big decision of his tenure at USC by retaining head coach Clay Helton for at least one more year. In the statement that was released, they supported Clay Helton and basically hinted that there would be some other changes that may occur to the staff. We'll find out as the days go on what will happen there. But the news breaks that Clay Helton will stay and coach USC for at least another season. Frosty, how do you think this plays out going forward for USC? I can tell you already the fan reaction has not been positive to the move. No, the fan reaction hasn't been positive, but... When you're looking for consistency, you can't just keep firing everyone. If you look at the last decade of our program, it's been such a roller coaster that I think Bone not having a lot of time to make this decision and everyone with so much pressure with recruiting and this bowl game and all this stuff coming up, I think it was a safe bet. I know people aren't looking for safe or looking for sexy, but as a safe bet, it's another year. I don't think there's too many seniors leaving. I think... Everyone in that locker room, they're real familiar with Clay. For the consistency of our program, it's not a bad move. Yeah, it definitely keeps things consistent with the program. We already know that the players like and respect Coach Helton, so they'll be behind this move. As you mentioned, we didn't have a lot of seniors on our team that will be moving on. There are some draft-eligible juniors who could make that decision. We'll find that out, obviously, in the weeks to come, what guys are going to do. So recruiting is a big deal now. At least there is some stability to go out there and tell recruits that he is going to be the head coach. The only problem is, is that he will likely still be on the hot seat next season. So 
you can still have people negatively recruit against Clay Helton and USC by saying, well, he might not be around for more than one year. Do you want to commit to USC? So we'll see what happens in the recruiting process there. Obviously, USC right now is not rated so highly in recruiting. It's one of the lowest rankings for USC in many, many years. And the other thing I want to address from Mike Bone, he's come out publicly and said that he didn't really look at other coaches in terms of reaching out to anybody. He said they explored their options and they decided to keep Clay. Now, I'm sure they've got to say something like that. You're not going to come out and just say, oh, yeah, we were looking at a bunch of guys and we're just going to keep Clay because we couldn't get any of the other guys. But I still think that that's kind of disingenuous. I mean, why did it take so long to make a decision if Clay's the only one you really had in mind this whole time? So, I think the real thing is that USC did try and reach out to some people and maybe someone like Urban Meyer was either not interested or wanted too much money and maybe some of the other high-profile head coaches like a James Franklin at Penn State, like Matt Rule at Baylor, they're more worried about what's coming up for them in terms of, in Baylor's case, the Big 12 championship game this weekend, in Franklin's case, a possible New Year's Six Bowl invitation, and again, money could be a factor there, and we know because of the extension that Clay got through 2023 that it would cost a decent amount of money to fire Clay Helton and members of his staff. So we'll see what happens going forward, but the fan reaction, as mentioned, has not been kind to AD Mike Bone or USC President Carol Fault. This is the first big major athletic decision for both of them, and the fans have made it clear that they are not happy about it. That's why I put out a special Helton hot seat scale poll just to get the pulse of Trojan Nation about the move to see how they feel about Clay Helton's hot seat because it will be continuing even though he has a job we know for next season but we put it out there and Carolina Reaper after having been only 20% in the last poll after the UCLA game jumped back up and won with 69% of the vote Ghost Pepper following that with 15% And then Habanero and Cayenne clocked in at 8% each. Does that surprise you at all, Frosty, that the fans would not be happy about it and that Mike Bone and Carol Fultz seem to be bearing the brunt of the unhappiness? The two in charge, our two leaders, the president and the AD, had to make a really gutsy call here. You go with the pressure of the outside, you go with the pressure of media and all that, and you fold that way, or... You take it one more year, there's a lot of money. I do recall at one point we were paying three coaches at once. We don't want to continue that trend. Everyone wants a solid program. You want a stand-up program, I get it. You want a winner, I get it. But sometimes you got to pump the brakes a little bit. I know this isn't a fan favorite conversation. I'm a player. I want national championships. I set a standard when I played there, and it hasn't been the same. But it wasn't the same years before that, right? We came out of nowhere. We won some national championships. But before that, it was the 70s when they won the last one. So with that being said, cool your Jets. The team got better from the year before. Give Clay this next year. Get him some more help. We brought in a new OC. You've seen the change of the offense. Maybe a couple different pieces. We have to find a recruiter that's going to go in these homes, 
talk to these parents, look them dead in the eye, and tell them the reality of this is that the University of Southern California is bigger than just, I would say, just the football program. Everything you get out of that education, the network, that's the big picture here. So pump your brakes a little bit. We'll get the recruits we need. And I think we'll be all right. I honestly feel like we'll be all right with this decision. I think if we had to rush this decision while other teams are and other coaches are waiting for bowl games and they're waiting to hear this and that and contracts and whatnot, we don't want to rush anything. We want a consistent program with foundation. So making a gutsy call could really blow up in our face. We got an eight-win team that's going to go to a bowl game and more than likely that I'd like to say is going to pick up that ninth win. It's a lot of room for improvement because when I played at USC, we set a standard. But let's be real here. A nine-win team, that's a good season for the majority of people. Not SC expectations, but they can only get better. I do not see them getting worse with this decision, and that's why I'm okay with it. So now the other key question is going to be what members of the assistant coaching staff are going to be retained as well. Because like I said, the statement hinted that there would be changes and I would expect them to try and keep offensive coordinator Graham Harrell, although there are the rumors out there that, among other schools, the University of Texas is going to try and poach him. They just fired their offensive coordinator last week, so there's an opening there. Obviously, Graham Harrell was a star in college at Texas Tech. He has Texas roots. He came from the University of North Texas to USC, so there's going to be obviously a push to maybe give him a raise so we can keep him. And I think the ire of most fans was directed at defensive coordinator Clancy Pendergast and special teams coach John Baxter. I would be surprised if either of those two are going to be kept. I know they are close to Clay Helton, but obviously with Clay keeping his job, I think other heads will roll. And I think those two guys are going to be on the chopping block I don't know how you feel about that, but I think you also realize that there will be some changes on the coaching staff. Yeah, like you said, absolutely. There's got to be changes. There's no doubt about it. And this is the business as well as a guilty pleasure of ours being football. This is the business. So you can be friends all you want, but this is the way it rolls. Do I single those coaches out? I'll let you do that. I'll just sit here and say, there's got to be some changes. And I think the changes will be for the better of the team. I think some energy in certain places will be good. If you look across the board, you can see where we excelled, and you can also see where we didn't excel. And I'll let the leadership make the call on that stuff. That's not really my say. But like I said, there's going to be some changes, and I think it's going to be for the benefit of the team. And I think certain groups may be affected by it, but I think with us not having many seniors, there'll be a lot of leadership left at these big-time roles And guys will step up and form into their roles, and I think we'll be in a better position than anyone's given us credit for. Okay, so Clay Helton remains USC's head coach. That is the big story of the week. And we wait for this weekend again to find out what bowl USC will be playing in. It is now down to two choices. It will either be the Alamo Bowl in San Antonio, Texas, or the Holiday Bowl down the road in San Diego. It'll all depend on whether Utah can sneak itself into the college football playoff. If that were to happen, then Oregon would go to the Rose Bowl and move USC up to the Alamo Bowl. 
If that doesn't happen, Utah would go to the Rose Bowl, and unless Oregon is chosen as an at-large team for one of the New Year's Six Bowl games, then they would go to the Alamo Bowl, and USC goes to the Holiday Bowl. In the Alamo Bowl, USC would play a Big 12 opponent, some people are already speculating that it could be Texas if USC is in that game. And in the Holiday Bowl, they would play a Big Ten opponent. So do you have a preference on where you think SC should go? Obviously, SC has never played in the Alamo Bowl, so that would be something new. But the Holiday Bowl being closer geographically could maybe get more USC fans to go to that game. If USC goes to Texas to play Texas, the whole Trojan <laughs> alumni base will be there. So I don't think logistically they care. I think a matchup like Texas, you could play anywhere, and they're going to get the support just from what happened when I was in school. So I hope we play Texas. Yep, it will be a determination based on how the Big 12 ends up shaking out and whether the loser of the Big 12 championship game between Oklahoma and Baylor is chosen to be an at-large team for the New Year's Six Bowl game. So if both Oklahoma and Baylor go, then I think the choice may end up being between Kansas State and Texas for the Alamo Bowl. And it might be too hard to ignore putting a USC-Texas game together if it aligns that way. I totally hear your point about the possibility of getting those two teams together. Of course, the last time we played Texas in Austin did not turn out so well. I was there. No, it didn't. No, it didn't. It was an unfortunate day for USC fans. So obviously, I think SC wouldn't mind trying to get some revenge against Texas. But listen, the last few times USC has traveled to Texas in general have not turned out well. That trip to Austin. True. The Cotton Bowl against Ohio State and the Alabama beatdown at Jerry World in Arlington. So maybe SC doesn't want to go to Texas. <laughs> That's true, but hey, never know, though. Realistically, if they get a chance to play Texas or bring up the fact Kansas State's a very good team, and that would be a great matchup and a great test for Coach Helton and his club. I think they got some momentum right now. Everyone's happy. Awards are getting passed out. Either team they get to match up with, I think it would be a great game. Yeah, I wouldn't mind seeing USC going to the Alamo Bowl because, for one, SC's never played in it, so just having a new bowl game experience I think would be kind of cool and maybe trying to get rid of this Texas problem that we have, not being able to win there before we go back there in the first game of the next season in 2020 to face Alabama again in Arlington at the Cowboys AT&T Stadium. It would be kind of cool to get to play a Big 12 team that you don't normally get to play against a lot. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. Again, we have to wait for all the conference championships to be decided this coming weekend and Sunday once the New Year's Six Bowls are announced with the four college football playoff teams and the other assorted bowls will then make their choices and we will know then and we will discuss that on next week's show. Now, let's go to a recap of this year's regular season for USC. We'll kind of break it down into quarters, so three games at a time, and just kind of get our perspective on how this season ended up going. Obviously, it ended up 8-4 and four in total for USC and going 7-2 and two inside the conference. So on the surface, it doesn't look too bad, but obviously the expectations for USC are always to be better than just an 8-win team 
So let's go through it, starting with the season opener at home against Fresno State. And maybe this was the sign that this would be the type of season we would have as SC struggled to a 31-23 win and lost starting quarterback JT Daniels to a season-ending knee injury in the process. That allowed true freshman Keaton Slovis to take over. And with everyone worried about it the next week, he won 45-20 in his first collegiate start against what we thought would be a good Stanford team. Obviously, they have struggled and ended up out of bowl contention this year for the first time in a decade. Keaton Slovis in that game, though, what a debut. 377 yards passing and three TDs on 85% completions. And so everyone was Pumped up for the next week. First road game up in Provo, Utah against BYU. And the disappointment hits as BYU shows a different type of defense that USC had not seen. They dropped mostly eight in coverage, rushing three. And Keaton Slovis did not have a good game. He threw three interceptions in that one. USC ends up losing in overtime, 30-27. So Frosty, after those first three games, I think we kind of got a sense of what type of team USC was, but people were still unsure of what we had in true freshman quarterback, Heathen Slovis. Yeah, it all came down to the quarterback position. And when JT went down, that was the biggest question mark. No one knew what this offense was going to do coming out of the gate. I felt like JT had great command and boom, he got hurt. And we can't even say what the rest of the season could have been if we started with our true number one. Sova played great, had a fantastic season, and not a shot at him. He's going to make this competition different. But what if JT didn't get hurt? Big question there. We didn't know what we are going to get. And the next week, we were all surprised with Stanford. Sovis came in and just absolutely balled. Yeah, Stanford hasn't had a good season, but the kid showed up. He gave us a big hope that, all right, the season can continue on. We're 2-0. and And then, dun, 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 BYU. I'm done. <laughs> yeah. A lot of SC fans felt like they were done with Helton for sure after that BYU loss. But then the next week, two plays into the game, Keaton Slovis is dumped on his back by Lecky Fotu, knocked out of the game with a concussion, and Matt Fink had to come off the bench and play hero. Went 21-30, 351 yards, three touchdowns, only threw one pick. Michael Pittman Jr. was his main target, getting 10 catches, 232 yards, and a touchdown in that 30-23 win against Utah. The only loss Utah had in conference all season and why SC was down to the last week of the regular season in contention for the Pac-12 South Division title. And then, of course, going back on the road the next week up in Seattle against the Washington Huskies, Matt Fink. Had to start this one with Slovis still out, not cleared by the concussion protocol. And SC looked anemic in a 28-14 loss that was highlighted by allowing an 89-yard touchdown run in the third quarter to Savan Ahmed that basically put the game away. And so everyone was unsure what to expect from USC the next week as they had to travel for the big intersectional rivalry game against the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. And getting off to a terrible start in that game, USC was down 20-3 early in the third quarter before mounting a big comeback and falling just short 30-27, the final there at Notre Dame. So after six games then, Frosty, USC 3-3, 500, and all the talk that, hey, you know what, this is going to be it for Clay Helton. Right. This is what has everyone, well, me particularly, on the fence with Coach Helton. There's games where they just didn't fare well, 
And then there's games like the Notre Dame game where they actually battled back, and I was more content with that than the Washington game, right? No escaping that. But that's what made me feel like Coach Helton is not a terrible coach by any means. I think our standards here are just set at what they are. So when we're looking at him over and over again, we beat a very good Utah team. Kyle Whittingham has that team rocking and rolling year in, year out, and we beat them. That was a huge game, and that was a huge statement for Coach Elton. So then we go up to Washington. Maybe the guys, they just didn't wake up that day. Maybe we had a good game plan, and they just missed some tackles and played horrendous, right? But then he battles back in Notre Dame. He gets his club going, and they rally. We didn't win, but Notre Dame is a fine football team, one of the best in the land. That's why there were some pros and one game full of cons. Yeah, and that seems to be the problem with USC, the maddening inconsistency. So after Notre Dame, they bounce back with a huge win over a team that struggled this year, Arizona, 41-14. They held the Arizona offense, which is high-powered, to just 385 yards. We discovered a new freshman phenom in running back Keenan Kristen who had to come off the bench as Stephen Carr and Marquis Stepboof got hurt in that game. Vivai Malapai was already out. So Kristen, who was the fifth string running back on USC's depth chart, and a guy who everyone expected just to be redshirted this year, comes in, eight carries, 103 yards, two touchdowns, and put a jolt of excitement into the Coliseum that day. The next week, a road trip to Boulder to face the Buffaloes of Colorado, and Once again, a struggle on the road for USC. They have to battle back and come back in the fourth quarter thanks to two Michael Pittman Jr. touchdown catches to get a 35-31 win. And so now, two straight wins for USC. Some people may be a little bit more excited about the chances with the big Oregon game, and that was at home. And after leading 10-zip, tremendous start in the game in the first quarter. It went downhill from there. SC ends up getting their doors blown off 56-24 against the Ducks. And that was really maybe the nail in the coffin for most USC fans to say that, hey, you know what? SC might be that kind of tease. We all know we have talent. But in that game where you have to step up against the team that was leading the conference at the time, they just didn't get it done. Yeah, Arizona, not a very good football team. And that showed we went out there and steamrolled them next game. Colorado. I thought it was going to be a blowout. We went out there and we kind of played down to their level. It felt like it was Halloween. It's probably a little spooky out there, but we got a win. We got out of Boulder. I thought we should have beat them worse. We didn't. But nevertheless, we got another W. So then the showdown versus Oregon. I kind of figured it would happen the way just, you know, watching our team. We have certain areas on our team where guys are above average. And then you play versus a team where every player on that team is above average, and that's what we got in Oregon. I knew it was going to happen. I knew at some point they were going to take over the game. Oregon just turned around and had a lot of big plays, and we really couldn't match up the speed and the athleticism. And on that day like that, you could say the coaching. So, again, we went 2-1 and one, that three-game stretch. There were some highs there, but it seems like whenever we play a superb caliber team, we end up just on a lopsided defeat. And that's the improvement we need. When you're playing an SC and you got this prestige behind you, you're going to get everyone's best shot. And from what we did when I was in college to people, they're going to try to put a whooping on you. So I also remember the standards that I had 
versus what this team is under and the pressure. It's a different pressure, different season, different everything. And so after the bad loss against Oregon and USC fans again feeling that discontent about Clay Helton and the team in general about the chances of what they would do for the rest of the season, despite the fact that SC was still in contention for the Pac-12 South title. They're sitting at 5-4, and four, three games left to go, the same situation that SC was in last season when they ended up losing the final three games and finishing with the losing record of 5-7. and seven. A lot of SC fans worried that it would happen again. And to the surprise of many, USC ends up finishing on a three-game winning streak. First, 31-26 on the road at Arizona State. Of course, that game was where USC scored 28 in the first quarter, was leading 28-7 at the end of the quarter, and then just barely hung on for the rest of the game to stave off a Sun Devil comeback. And again, in that game, Arizona State was missing its true freshman quarterback star, Jaden Daniels. So SC got maybe a little bit lucky there, but they do escape the desert with a win. Had to go to another road game up north, the weekender in Berkeley against Cal. And in what I thought is probably SC's best overall game of the season, they put a beat down on the Golden Bears 41-17. I expected Cal's defense to show up a lot more, but SC's offense shredded them. Keaton Slovis with a over 400-yard passing game. And again, that was a trend for him as we closed out the season. SC wins big up in the Bay Area. And finally, the crosstown rivalry against the Bruins from UCLA. USC finishes it off with a 52-35 win. Keaton Slovis going for 515 yards on 79% completion and four touchdowns, breaking freshman season records. He was just amazing in that game and the growth that he'd had from when he started the season coming in as a second string guy for an injured starting quarterback to how he ended the season was tremendous. And so Frosty, you can say that, hey, SC ended strong and all of this was done with the new hiring of an athletic director, Mike Bone, and Clay Helton maybe coaching for his job. The players who obviously like and respect Coach Helton definitely played for him to close out this season. But in the end, SC 8-4, 7-2 in conference and not playing for a conference championship and waiting to see what second-tier bowl game they're going to. How would you say SC wrapped up the season? Well, that last three-game stretch coming off that big defeat versus Oregon, you never know how a team's going to respond. It's kind of been, like I said earlier, you play a really good team and we get whooped, and then we play some decent teams and we fare well versus them. So when they played Arizona State, I actually picked that to be a loss. I thought Arizona State was going to be really chippy. They were playing in Tempe, and SC actually showed up and got out of there with the win. Arizona State played some really, really good football to me. Then we travel up to Cal for the weekender, and I think I picked it to be a tighter game, to be completely honest. But SC went up there and handled business, and therefore, again, it was another reason why it's like a lot of people are so down on Clay, but at the same time, he's winning the ball game. Men lie, women lie, numbers don't. And when you get a win, you just stack them. And then to top it off, how we finished the season versus UCLA. I went to practice and I got to be around the guys. And, you know, I was in the locker room before the game and I seen how intense they were. Coach Helton had those guys fired up. 
They knew how important it was to win that game at home for the seniors, and they didn't have another game after that. So they left it out there, and they whooped them. Across the board, it was probably one of our most complete games, and it gave a fan hope that there's still some dominant players on this team, that they'll still fight to the finish, and playing versus UCLA means something to them. And it was a very proud game for me, being around a lot of alumni and watching the game closely and sharing memories and just looking at these guys. They really showed up, and they showed up for Coach Helton. So, again, when it mattered that game, those last three games, they did what they were supposed to do. And right now, I'm excited for SC football. I'm not going to be one to be upset. Clay Helton's our coach. I think with him and the offense coordinator synced well, defense pick it up, we get some top recruits, we'll be better. I feel like every news we hear will be good news. Every single thing we hear about our program will get better. We'll just march forward. And I'll always be a fan. I'm loyal to my team and my school. I think there's better days ahead of us. If you enjoy listening to our show, please subscribe and rate us. You can find us on all of your favorite podcast directories, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. The website is Believe.com. That's B-L-E-A-V.com. On social media, at Believe Podcast. For me, on Twitter, find and follow me at Nara Wang Sports, N-A-R-A-W-E-N-G Sports. And Frosty, where do they find you on social media? You can always find me on Twitter and Instagram at The Organic Frost. That's at The Organic Frost. So I thought, Frosty, we could do something since we don't have any predictions to make for this week's show because we don't have a game set quite yet that we could maybe give out some regular season awards. And I think we both obviously agree that Michael Pittman Jr. is the MVP, so we don't really have to give out the MVP. We've already kind of mentioned that in previous shows, and that's an obvious one, and the team voted him the MVP as well. But I thought there were a few other things we could bring up and see how we thought about it. So beginning with just what was the best play of the season? And in addition to looking at the best play of the season, we should also come up with what was the worst play of the season for USC. So for me, my best play was the touchdown pass in the Utah game by Matt Fink to Michael Pittman Jr., 77 yards. Pittman goes up between a couple of defenders, breaks a tackle, coasts into the end zone, made him look silly. That was my best play for USC on the season. However, my worst play of the season for USC would be in that Oregon game where USC scores a touchdown with 20 seconds to go in the first half to try and stem the momentum of Oregon in that game. Again, SC had led 10-0 at the end of the first quarter and let Oregon come back to take a 21-10 lead. But then SC gets the touchdown, 20 seconds left in the half. Michael Pittman to make it 21-17, build a little momentum going into halftime. And then USC decides to kick deep and Mikhail Wright takes it back 100 yards to the end zone, and they go into halftime leading 28-17, and the game was basically over from there as they piled on another 28 points before SC finally scored a garbage-time touchdown late. So my best play of the season for USC, the Matt Fink to Michael Pittman connection against Utah. My worst play for USC was giving up the 100-yard kickoff return to Mikhail Wright against Oregon at the end of the first half. Frosty, how about you? What were your best and worst plays of the season for USC? 
My best play of the whole season had to go down Arizona State in Tempe. Fourth quarter, 25 seconds left in the game. Arizona State's driving, and a D lineman, Christian Rector, a senior, got an interception and sealed the game. Best play of the season to me, carried the Trojans to victory. He was a senior, defensive end. I'm all about it. That's a good choice, I would say, and especially you being a defensive end that had to hit home for you. Oh, absolutely. I had two career interceptions when I was at SC, and each one was a huge play for our defense. And Pete Carroll, our head coach, was all about the turnovers and getting the ball back. Our motto was all about the ball. So those plays sticked out to me, and they'll stick out to me the rest of my life. And I'm glad the young fella had his chance to get his paws on the ball. So now, what is the worst play of the season for USC? My worst play of the season has to come from the Washington game. The end of the third quarter, Savon Ahmed took the ball 89 yards right through the middle of our defense, full-on Forrest Gump-style running, could have ran out of the stadium. I'm surprised it didn't his head on the goalpost. But from that point on in that game, that broke our back. We never recovered. And to me, that's the worst play of the season. Yep, that was a bad one as well. So those are our best and worst plays of the season. Now let's go to who we thought was the most underrated player of the season for the USC Trojans. For me, I'm going on the defensive side with a senior, the linebacker John Houston. He led the team in tackles this year with 100 had six and a half tackles for loss, two and a half sacks, and provided a lot of leadership as many of his fellow defensive players were getting hurt all around him. He stayed healthy, he stayed steady, and I don't think he got a lot of credit for what he did, providing leadership as a senior, and again, staying healthy and making plays just about every game. So my most underrated player is linebacker John Houston. Frosty, who do you think was the most underrated Trojan this season? And it may come as some surprise, but the kid didn't start off as a starter. He didn't have five stars. He got an opportunity. And that's Keaton Slovis. The kid flat out went out there and played. He got injured during the season and rallied back. He gave us a chance in every game he played in. And I'm sure the accolades are going to come and everyone's going to be all about him. But the kid was an absolute stud. He led our team. He was confident. And that's going to be my most underrated player coming back. Wow, that is a good choice, I would say. I mean, a guy who was a three-star recruit, not heavily recruited by the power schools, and ends up winning the backup job first, which surprised a lot of people, and then having to step in for JT Daniels and having the season that he did, shattering records all over the place. That's a good choice. I mean, he definitely was underrated coming in for sure. And so... Our underrated players, you went offense with Keaton Slovis. I went defense with John Houston. Now, let's talk about the award for the player with the brightest future. I'll let you start on this one. Well, personally, this one means a lot just because the guy's on the defensive line. And obviously, you guys know I played D-line for a lot of years. I was a converted linebacker, but fell in love with D-line. when Ed Ordrone told me I pretty much didn't have a choice. <laughs> But anyways, so this guy, I'm going with Drake Jackson. This guy has such a promising career. He's such a promising young man. I think the accolades are going to come for him this offseason. I know he's going to work hard. You know, I had a conversation with him, and he's such a bright kid, and he just he knows where he's going. And this kid is going to lead our defense, and he's going to lead our team. We have a stud in our D-line. And let me take you through this guy's stats as a true freshman defensive end at USC. Ten games played. 
24 solo tackles, 17 assists. That's 41 total tackles, guys. You got 11.5 tackles for loss with a total of 60 yards. That's more than half the field. And five sacks. That's Drake Jackson. That kid is our future. That kid is destined to go places, very high places. And that's the player I'm going to pick with the brightest future for our USC Trojans. I think that's a great choice. And just to be different from you, because I totally agree, I think Drake Jackson has an incredibly bright future ahead of him. I'm going to go with the other Drake, true freshman wide receiver Drake London. I was killing him early in the season, wondering why SC kept trying to throw his way when he was clearly having some issues catching the ball and finding the targets with him. But man, did he finish strong, ended up the season with over 500 yards and had four touchdown catches and really became a go-to guy in the final five games of the season for Keaton Slovis. And for him to stick out amongst the other great receivers that USC had this season, the aforementioned Michael Pittman Jr., but also Tyler Vaughns and Amon Ross St. Brown, for him to step up and solidify that number four USC wide receiver position is pretty amazing. And again, this is a guy who came in who was more maybe noteworthy for the fact that he's going to play both football and basketball for USC. And I think some people even thought that maybe he'd have a better future in basketball, but nope. I think everyone knows now this kid's future has to be football and it's going to be a bright one for wide receiver Drake London. Great pick. The kid, obviously, when they can be a dual sport threat and compete at a high level at both, but really stand out on that football field and go up and get the ball, he's a solid pick, man. He has a bright future. And finally, I don't know if it's really an award, but maybe the biggest question that you can have when it comes to a season, especially when it's not as successful as you might have hoped it would be, is what's the biggest what if? in this season and we might actually agree on this one because it is kind of a big one but for me the biggest what if of the season is what if JT Daniels hadn't gotten hurt in the season opener against Fresno State obviously he came in as the starter he was performing well in that first half before he got hurt taking a sack and who knows what would have happened yeah, it has to be the biggest what if. If JT doesn't get hurt, what happens? Look like the offense fit his skill set a little bit more. Who knows? And yes, Keaton Slovis has played well. Matt Fink has played well most of the time, too, other than that Washington game where really no one played very well for USC. But all three quarterbacks that have gotten playing time for USC have shown what they could do. Keaton Slovis, again, I think most people have fallen in love with the guy and have basically brushed JT Daniels aside. But that's the biggest what if to me. What would have happened if JT Daniels had not gotten hurt? It might have just ended up in basically the same type of season because I don't know that JT, based on what we saw of him last season, who knows how he would have performed in a new offense, the air raid offense. It looked good for a half. That was against Fresno State. But we don't know exactly what would have happened as the season progressed. You would think a guy that has as much talent as JT would have been able to do well in this offense. But who knows? And now going forward, it will be interesting to see what happens next season. Obviously, we know that Coach Helton is going to be back. We are not sure at this moment if Graham Harrell is going to be back. He's obviously signed and under contract, but 
a lot of schools are being speculated as being interested in Graham Harrell, either as an offensive coordinator, like at the University of Texas, or possibly even as a head coach, as there are rumors that UNLV might be going after him for that position. So we shall see if Graham Harrell is back to lead the offense once again. Definitely a big improvement under him, and that might play into JT's decision about whether he stays to compete with Keaton Slovis, because obviously Slovis is a favorite of Harrell and had such a big season. So how do you think the coaching possibilities and keeping Helton affect JT's decision about coming back to USC? Well, personally, I feel like we have to do whatever it takes to retain Graham. Such a great coach. He had all of our quarterbacks in the right position to make big-time plays. Obviously, Slovis had the biggest year. He was more consistent. He didn't get hurt by JT. But again, we have to keep him. He can't go anywhere. And we're talking about college there's going to be some NFL teams poaching also. A lot of teams want these young, fresh-minded coaches, and they want them. So we'll see how that plays out also. And speaking of JT, I do not want him to leave. I want him to sit where he is, work his tail off, make sure he's mentally and physically ready, but he needs to compete. He's a Southern California kid. He doesn't need to go anywhere. I think he slugs it out with Slovis all spring, and whoever we end up with as our starter, I think we'll be in good hands. But the key to our program has always been about competing. And I personally don't want to see JT leave. I want to see him stay and compete. I think it would be one of the best battles in all college football. And whoever prevails there, the school is going to be in a better position. And just like what happened this year, anything can happen. JT may have to take a back seat to slow this and something could happen. I'm knocking on wood. Don't want to see that happen. But it's all about opportunity. I've also played on team with Matt Leinard. And Matt Castle got drafted and played a decade in the NFL, and he had seven snaps total. So there's a lot of stuff that can come with that, but I think JT should stay put. This was his team going into the season. It still can be, but I would love to see this competition come spring and fall camp. And we'll see where he is. Obviously, he got hurt in the first game of the season. We'll see how quickly he rehabs from the knee injury there. So, since we don't have any predictions to make, since there's no USC game this weekend, I thought I'd throw this one out there for you, Frosty, to try and get your prognostication skills a chance to do something here. Big word. Big word. (laughs) Yeah, you like that. I do. I do. That's a SC education word right there. There you go. There you go. But what bowl game? is USC going to play in? Obviously, it's down to two choices. It's either the Alamo Bowl or the Holiday Bowl. It's going to depend on what happens in the Pac-12 title game between Utah and Oregon and what the bowl committee decides if Utah has a chance to get into the playoff and how everything shakes out. But what bowl game do you feel USC is going to be playing in? Logistically, I think for our fans, everyone would probably like San Diego and to take over the Gaslight District and all that. But I think we'll end up in the Alamo Bowl. It's such a historic venue to play in. It's only right that we end up in there. Look, going back to Texas isn't a bad thing, and that's what I want. All right, so you're going on record that the Alamo Bowl is where SC ends up. And honestly, that's what I'm hoping for because that would probably mean that Utah makes the playoff, and that helps the Pac-12 out. So that would send Oregon to the Rose Bowl and USC to the Alamo Bowl. 
So, another great show. If you want to check us out, you can find us wherever you find your favorite podcasts. iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. Please subscribe and rate our show. On the website, it's Believe.com, B-L-E-A-V.com. On social media, at Believe Podcasts. For me, I am on Twitter, at Nara Wang Sports, N-A-R-A. W-E-N-G Sports. Frosty, one more time, where do they find you? You find me at The Organic Frost on Instagram and Twitter. That is at The Organic Frost. So for Frosty Rucker, I'm Nara Wang. Thanks for joining us for episode 15 of the USC Football Podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, Los Angeles' number one sports podcast network, the only place with a show for every team in L.A. and more. We believe in our teams. Do you believe? And, of course, please remember to always fight on. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.